I think we should do like a fun cold open. Like, what if I just asked you, like, Chance, what do you think the political persuasion of like the Bigfoot is? I, <laughs> I think he he must be like an Ann Prim because he's just a big hairy mountain man. Yeah, I could. I guess so. I feel like he's like libertarian. <laughs> Why? He just doesn't like any laws or justice, including like laws of like the animal kingdom. Have you ever? Have I ever showed you? There's a lot of videos on the internet of this dude who swears that he fucked Bigfoot. Um, and I, I should show you that sometime. That's my it's own great. personal account. <laughs> he also has a pet raven. Well, so. they're they're like <laughs> that's fucking cool. Talks actually. to him and he calls him a son of a bitch. It's great. <laughs> but like, wasn't there that politician from Virginia who like wrote Bigfoot erotica? Oh yeah, he was like a congressional candidate. Yeah. Was it Kamala Harris? Uh, no. <laughs> no, she's from California yeah, and she right. writes Sasquatch ero- erotica. <laughs> no, she's she, different. She writes fan fiction from the point of view of the children whose parents she locked up for 45 years <laughs> uh, for having an ounce of weed. Oh, I thought it was going to go full QAnon. <laughs> yeah, she basically is doing like Zodiac letters <laughs> from the point of view of that girl, but she's writing them to herself. That girl was me. And then it like, it just goes off. And that's why I respect her deeply uh, because she's an unrepentant psycho. We do need more cranks. Like it's hard to be a crank nowadays because if you are a crank, you usually get radicalized by the aforementioned QAnon or like some even more obscure like political conspiracy for example yeah like hamburglar shit yeah like, you remember the guy like i want to say two years ago who sent who mailed the pipe bomb to like nancy pelosi and that like, was yeah, only a year ago yeah and like the caesar the, something or other caesar milan yeah that's right. <laughs> <laughs> i have a story about q you guys sort of already know this but it was that guy so I, recently i was editing the podcast last week oh yes and this is sick I was like, I need a funny song about the Conservative Party of Canada. So I just Googled funny song about Conservative Party of Canada. I ended up with this song, which I started, and it was just called Song for Aaron O'Toole and Peter McKay. And I was like, ooh, I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, so I click on it. He does a 10-minute intro of how like he has who, Muslim who friends. Man? No, he's, I'll get to that. He's okay. So yeah. he has Muslim friends. And so oh. he doesn't mean offense to them. Oh, great. They're Sorry. great. The and peaceful, he loves them. The peaceful loving the peaceful. Muslim. Um, yeah. This is a song dedicated to those who push their ideas on the others. Extremists. Like, okay, sure. So then we start and he's like doing this nice verse. And then the chorus is like, Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole love, love Sharia, Sharia law. law. It's to the tune <laughs> of, of, of Margaritaville. Away again, Margaritaville by <laughs> James Buffett. Oh, Peter no. McKay and Aaron O'Toole love, love Sharia, Sharia law. Yeah. I, I think it's like just Peter and Aaron both yeah, that's love right. Sharia that's right. yeah. law. I think so that's it. Here's the thing about the song, though, is that's a really well-written yeah. parody. I know, it was stuck Honestly, in my head. Like, it was stuck in my head for days. <laughs> I'm a YouTube uh, DJ, drop that track. Peter Support the Muslim Brotherhood. Both of them claim they have no ties to these guys, but we know they're both full of shit. Oh, God. Um, so then after hearing this lovely song, I clicked on this man's channel and I was like, who is this? What? And then I see first sign of resistance in kingston ontario and i was like oh my god of course he's from kingston very cool uh that so he has this whole channel he posts 
approximately once a day, 20 to 30 minutes each time, each video. And it's just him sitting, staring at his webcam. He uploads the same thumbnail for each one of his yeah. phase paused mid speech. So it's very unnerving. And he just talks about Q. Um, and then his example of like how he, he saw like the first signs of resistance was that someone was screaming at uh, the beer store and he was like, this is my kindred folk. <laughs> um, <laughs> we are cut from the same And then block. I was thinking like, okay, maybe I'm going to keep an eye out for this guy now. Like maybe I'll see if I see him. Uh, unfortunately, every single man over the age of 60 in Kingston has this exact haircut, which is not a normal haircut. It's a mullet with extreme bangs like oh, full, yeah, it's like it's full quarantine bangs, yeah long in the back parted bangs and then parted at the it's back the and i was Charming like oh look. i'm totally gonna find this guy and i've been walking around driving around kingston every single old man <laughs> no, in kingston has we've been haircut. we've been driving just... up and down uh downtown just singing the song yeah. <laughs> why don't you just <laughs> message him on youtube because I don't want to die. I I'm feel like he's going to kill <laughs> no, me if I'm I Honestly, do that. I'm pretty sure. He's I've a defender of women. That's why he's, he's fighting human trafficking. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure I've argued with this guy on the Kingston subreddit before. <laughs> so Probably. I'm, I'm going to try to find it. He's definitely a Redditor. No doubt yeah. about it. But you know what? I, I want to circle back around because cranks like that, they do still exist. Unfortunately, they've been poisoned. But we need like we need to return to the tradition of the crank. Yeah, I feel like Jesse Ventura is the closest thing we have. And you know what's nice? He's Cranks are mostly apolitical. Yeah. Because they understand that neither party represents their specific interests, which is like we passing <laughs> bylaws to keep kids away from their houses three of the seven days a week. Or, like, if you use an air horn anywhere within 150 kilometers of his home, he's legally allowed to execute you. Yeah, like normal stuff that we all care about. Yeah, like, because his ideas before weren't palatable to either party in power. Yeah. And now, like, the crank's ideas are just the deciding, like, political goal of each party. And that, that it's not fun anymore. So, shout out to all the cranks out there. Uh, Hell yeah. Don't believe the political party's lies. You are the true, or you were the true individuals. And this, and this country was founded on cranks like you. Yeah, truly. I was actually thinking if we really want to meet this guy for an interview, we all stand out in front of the beer store and just start screaming yeah. at him. Which yeah. beer store is the question? We take one each yeah, of the downtown ones. <laughs> if we divvy it up. We, yeah, we yeah. got to spread the And then the we'll wait for a week and then we'll try the West End ones. So <laughs> we'll see him eventually. So if we're cranking one off for you guys. It's another edition of the Late Lake capitalism show uh, i'm megan <laughs> and i'm chance i'm i'm your your lovely co-host here it's jesse as always and folks it's me dean hayden nice to meet you so the main thing we're going to talk about today which is inspired directly by uh the first real piece of direct labor action i've seen in the united states in a long time even though you could say it wasn't very well organized or well focused it's labor action nonetheless so inspired by the nba quote-unquote boycotting of a few games last week we're going to be discussing uh fairly briefly because there was a surprisingly long history of this like labor action in sports and specifically labor action related to uh kind of racial inequality or injustice because you would be surprised to find out how long this has been going on and sadly for the most part how ineffective it's been uh, also, I'd like to talk about how Barack Obama is a cop caller and a snitch, a traitor to the people, and unfortunately, I must I must agree with all the right wing memes I used to make fun of in like 2012 that yes, he is the Antichrist. Yeah, um, probably. I, I mean, yeah. probably. Yeah, uh, 
I forgot he was the Antichrist. And that's how we know he was born in America. That's right. His real name is Barry (laughs) Sotero. So the NBA has been one of the few sports leagues that's actually been successful in implementing some kind of uh, COVID plan. Similar to the NHL, they did what's known as like bubble cities. The NBA decided to base theirs out of Orlando, which is very funny. It's very funny for a lot of reasons, mostly because Florida is obviously like one of the major epicenters. Mm. To put that in context, the NHL, they ran their playoffs out of Toronto and like Edmonton. Mm. Which is smart. Two Canadian hub cities, both of which are relatively, at this point, untouched by COVID. And that's gone really well. The MLB famously tried to just kind of continue with business as usual. And like five teams got infected. They're still soldiering on. I thought for sure the season was going to be canceled. But the NBA, doing a pretty good job. Uh, The players are not enjoying it because they're basically trapped in Disneyland. And they (laughs) can't fuck. They uh, can't go anywhere. One of the funniest things, Donovan Mitchell, he is a player for the Utah Jazz. And he accidentally turned his Instagram live on one night. It was completely dark. He could just hear him getting sucked off by somebody. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that but is now King. leading the playoffs in points per game. <laughs> well, yeah, of oh course. Oh, my God. Yeah, After man. that, he's yeah. been inspired. It was so sick. But Brief the- side note, Australia has had a second wave because all the people coming back on flights had to quarantine in hotels for two weeks. And the security staff were sleeping with them and then going to other jobs uh, as security staff. So and they've Australian. had a massive oh second God. wave. That's, that's that's like a blimey. That's a <laughs> that's a nineteen. That's a bug chaser's dream right there. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I gotta work at this quarantined uh, hotel. Everyone has COVID nineteen. Totally gonna slay some chicks. <laughs> oh my god! Everybody's so horny. No, it makes sense. Like <laughs> if, just boning down uh, yeah, the tuberculosis I'm, ward. Like, <laughs> you love yeah. it. If you're a middle-aged Australian woman, all the security guards in Australia, and I can confirm this because I worked with one who was here last year are insanely hot oh god they're all like nice. buff and cha- they do the chad walk constantly <laughs> like they can't respond to the radio call because they can't reach the clip that's on just like <laughs> on their shoulder because they're all just insanely jacked and you know they're packing yeah, like bronze skin nine oh, yeah. inch pipe saw kind of looking yeah. like <laughs> looking a little bit like donkey kong you know that's right no they, they look like donkey kong they <laughs> all of them they wear the tie and that's it <laughs> that's actually the australian uniform so like i salute everybody getting piped down by Australian security guards, but I also understand, yeah, you got to make a living. I have three jobs. I, I think Australia is the only earned outbreak where they're allowed to have it. Yeah. Anyways, back to the NBA. Uh, so they have their bubble set up in Orlando, and yeah, they haven't had any major issues at all. Like from a COVID standpoint, it has been an unbelievable success. For, for the U.S.? Yes, for the U.S. Yeah. Uh, the players are all miserable, and there's a lot of guys that <laughs> went back home after COVID, so they either had to miss the start of the playoffs or they're just sitting out in general. But for the most part, all the important players are in Orlando. And the first round was going quite nicely. Uh, pretty standard stuff. There's no fans, obviously. The only people in the stands are like the few front office workers or like people related to the team and they're all spaced out. Mm. Until the Jacob Blake shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which if you aren't familiar, a uh, man who had broken up an argument between two people was trying to get into his vehicle and a cop grabbed him by the arm and shot him seven times in the back and of course in the in wake front of, of this, his wife and children yeah his kids were in the car and of course in the wake of this they've tried to smear him with about a million different things he yeah. had a knife in the car so yeah to try and diffuse from the fact that they just in plain sight and in cold blood tried to murder this man and succeeded in crippling him for life he's mm. paralyzed they also kind of succeeded in that smear campaign yes too. they did uh and that is not surprising and it's monstrous but that unfortunately as it is right now is the way the media works Mm. anyways the milwaukee bucks being 
obviously familiar with the area and one player in particular being familiar with the Milwaukee PD. They have a guy on their roster by the name of Sterling Brown. Mm. Four years ago, he parked in the wrong parking spot in a parking lot late one night and the Milwaukee Police Department threw him to the ground, tased him and put his face into the concrete. Oh my God. He obviously was like, what the fuck is happening? And the Milwaukee Bucks team president, in a show of solidarity, apologized to the Milwaukee Police Department. Yeah, and won't happen had, again, wow, sir. Cool. And had like an officers in honor night. Oh, like, that makes two me want to vomit later. for real. I actually yeah. feel oh, nauseous yeah. hearing that. Yeah. Oh, my so God. Sterling Brown and Paul George. Paul George, or sorry, no, George Hill. George Hill, who is a king. George Hill has been playing in the NBA for like 10 years. He's like this short dude who's just like tough as nails. He's like, this is bullshit. And he spoke with the rest of the Milwaukee Bucks and they decided we're not playing this game literally days after someone in our home state, a black man, like 80% of the league was shot seven times by the police. Mm -hmm. So they didn't show up for their game. And I think that's the key thing to remember here is that while this was like a wildcat strike in that it was a strike. Uh, led by workers out of nowhere, basically. Like, it's it's yeah. a quickly uh, thrown-together strike uh, in response to uh, an, a grand injustice that needs to be met immediately. That's what a wildcat strike is. This was not super well organized in that mm. it wasn't really organized in the sense of the word at all. It was just a lot of individuals reaching a, the same conclusion mm-hmm. at the same time. And basically. I think the only reason this was able to happen, because it wasn't just Milwaukee, they started it, but then Toronto and Boston, they decided not to play. And then even the MLB, the Milwaukee Brewers and the Cincinnati Reds also decided not to play. Mm-hmm. So over the course of three days, two sports uh, and canceled. the NFL had a little speech about it. And no, they, N- <laughs> NHL. NHL, yeah. sorry. The yeah, NHL. We watched the NHL <laughs> was just like, dialogue. sad. Uh, didn't We're this, listening. This it's like, sad, shit, didn't, didn't the NHL up. actually uh, cancel games, though? No. They canceled like a week of games, I thought. Am I wrong? I'll Google uh, it. As far as I know, that did not happen. Well, the NHL played the whole time because we don't have that here in Canada. You see, it's not a Canada issue. No, yeah, no, we don't have any. Yeah, just look at how many fucking white people play hockey. That's right. Uh, So, yes, the NBA players without the approval of the owners, but with the support of the coaches, uh, some of whom, like Doc Rivers on the LA Clippers, has been a very outspoken uh, critic of racial (laughs) policies in the United States. He had a really incredible speech that went viral. And he said, like, yeah, my dad is a cop. And, you know, you can say of that what you will. But, like, why should we love this country when this country has spent 400 years not loving us back? Yeah. And, like, Doc Rivers was heated. And he was, like, tears in his eyes. It's a really uh, worthwhile speech. Like, it's it's incredible. And he offers a lot of insight as someone who grew up with a law enforcement father, but also that did not protect him from experiencing all the racial injustices that come with being an african-american man in the united states but the nba players they organized they struck they canceled three days worth of games which cost the owners millions in ad revenue so cool and i remember reading this the day it happened being so excited I was oh yeah up. yeah and you see it was only possible because they were all gathered in orlando and i was reading a lot about this afterwards so the NBA is 80% African-American. Like that's the racial demographic as it breaks down. And as the players were discussing, they learned that only like 20% of the players in the NBA are even registered to vote. So of course their first thing is like, oh, we've got a voter registration. And it's like, okay, sure, whatever. Like if that is helpful, that is helpful. Yeah. And then the owners of the various arenas were like, oh, we'll turn our spots into voting venues so more people can go and vote. And then a day later, they're like, oh, it turns out we can't do that because of a legislative legislature thing. And they were uh, like, oh, too bad. dang. Sorry. And you could see this very wildcat new movement start to peter out in real time and the killing blow the killing blow 
came when LeBron the James. The old bungler. LeBron James, Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, uh, they sought the counsel of Barack Obama. And I understand why. And Hand of the king. This isn't me to criticize this because I, like, I understand how incredibly important his election was to like millions of African-American people. And I understand why he still has such a huge cultural purchase, despite the fact that he spent shit. years in office uh, <laughs> doing nothing. But they reached out to him. They're like, all right, pre- former President Obama. Could you imagine if they reached out to Biden instead? <laughs> oh, my God. That would be so cool. He would have, he would have been been like, Biden would be look, striking with them. Look, he just Jack, wouldn't understand what's happening. We got to get the peach baskets back. No more nets. <laughs> And no more of this high flying Duncan. <laughs> I I checked and um, the players of the NHL pushed for it a lot, so they took two days off. Um, but they didn't cancel any games; they just postponed them to two days later. And then they Classic. did a message on the big scoreboard said "End racism." Yeah, yeah the end I, saw, racism. I saw that one. That's that was like funny. That Tumblr yeah, that post the final of, the, the, of the kid with the snapback with his shirt off. It just says "Stop racism." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they're like, to be fair to the players, a lot of them were pushing for like yes. a longer postponement, and they were like tweeting messages saying like the nhl isn't doing enough and so except for lone couture who said he got punched in toronto (laughs) for being a trump supporter and then i I was the one who punched him then i said doo-doo fell out his ass like uh bird feed (laughs) 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 and uh believe it or not he did block me for that even though i had like (laughs) i had like four likes pathetic lone couture you get jesse's uh pussy mode of the week ah yes classic but anyways barack obama advised the player well quite frankly you could uh, your message would mean more if uh, you continue to play. Uh, if you want your games, uh, you can keep playing in them. Yeah. So he advised that the players, instead of uh, continuing the strike, they take advantage of the platform they had by continuing to play. Yeah, they're yeah, really going to lose anything. their platform yeah. during this by strike. By not doing anything new or newsworthy. <laughs> oh, my God. Even though LeBron James has, like, 100 million social media followers, he is one of the most famous people, not just in the United States, in the world. Yeah. Like what the fuck, and and it's so funny because Obama's advice mirrored perfectly what like Connor Friesdorf, this Daily Caller columnist, was like. Well, why don't they just uh, address these issues in the post game when everybody's watching? It's like nobody fucking watches the post game interviews. No. Yeah, you fucking fucking herb, and you uh, freak. Also, people who don't watch the NBA will certainly be talking about the NBA fully going on strike. Yeah. Like 100%. Like me. We, none of us care. No, yeah, yeah I, did, I didn't care about the NBA at all until this happened. Now I'm like, oh, it's they cool sometimes. Gave up 100, <laughs> it's cool when it doesn't happen. 100% of their leverage. 100% of their leverage at the behest of Barack Obama, which means he's killed two uh, worker-led movements in 2020. Yeah. Uh, the first being the Bernie Sanders campaign when he told all of the uh, freaks and Amy Klobuchar, who's my angel queen, uh, to drop out of the race at the same time, except for Elizabeth Warren, of course. Uh, yeah, who could just bleed Bernie for everything? Proud sort. Cherokee oh, okay. blood pumping through her veins. Yeah. <laughs> her words, not mine. <laughs> uh, it's fine. She put BLM on some blocks for her adult baby followers. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. Cool. that was cool. I liked but, that. And yeah. now the NBA strike. Thanks. The, the NBA strike. Uh, the the thing about it is, and like I I mentioned this uh, on another show, uh, but so many people I saw and interacted with online that day were like well like why don't i just stop working uh what like what why oh, why yeah. can't i just like not go to work and get what i want i loved it uh to which the whole response was yeah dude talk to your co-worker <laughs> yeah, you, you could totally you should do, do that. that very easily use your leverage you should do that like that's word. the purpose yeah and like this uh you know this idea of like organized labor and of like workers fighting for and getting what they want 
is like so it's like lost wisdom it's like ancient forbidden knowledge in america now uh and like there was like you know this really uh this platformed really high spectacle event of like the nba wildcat strike was like opening people's eyes to the fact that that's a thing that they can do yeah and then of course like like especially this on such a platform on like the world stage has to be quashed immediately by obama who is like the the dark prince of capitalism at you know this what's point. so sick two of the nba's owners wait i we you have to cut dark. that because i said dark prince we cannot uh, air that whoops i, I didn't mean it like that the, the um, black prince uh, let me say that again <laughs> the uh, colored just <laughs> uh, call him a goblin yeah the, like yeah like uh o- obama the goblin king of capitalism i don't like that either i liked that that was <laughs> sick <laughs> I mean, whatever, keep going. whatever you're coding it as is on Dean's going to find a different Rachel slur to use every <laughs> yeah. single time he tries He's going to dig up an the old The gypsy one. queen. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. Obama, the Irish drunkard of capitalism. <laughs> Obama, the flaming queen of capitalism. <laughs> uh, Obama, the Mujahideen fighter of no, capitalism. No, see, that one they'll get upset at you for. <laughs> uh, anyways, what's really cool about the NBA owners is that two of them have direct connections to private prisons. Uh, Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, who uh, once, despite LeBron James, wrote a letter about LeBron James in Comic Sans saying that he was no true leader and that they would be better off without him. Uh, He regretted that about four years later when LeBron came back. But he basically owns downtown Detroit and has been turning into actual RoboCop with like private corporate police. Tom Gores is the owner of the Detroit Pistons and has several investments in private prisons. Jeez. And doesn't the owner of the Clippers, uh, Steve Ballmer, yes, yeah. he has donated over seven hundred thousand dollars to the local police force, and I think like a hundred million overall to policing initiatives. In California, is this yeah. their okay? Serious question: Is this their like fetish or something? No, like, is this their just their? There, there was so there was Donald Sterling who owned the Clippers before Steve Ballmer, who uh, would take his prized black players to parties wearing all white suits and show them off. What? Oh, oh, that's that was recently. That's <laughs> he cool. got banned from the league in 2014. Wasn't there uh, an owner of some team fired in the last couple years for doing something really bad? Yes, I, I remember that. I think that was Donald Sterling because uh. uh, he told his uh, side piece that she was not allowed to have sex with black men because he didn't want them coming around. And then oh. Adam Silver said he was banned for life. Gotcha. Which was cool. Yeah, that's really bad. Uh, he was also the guy who, <laughs> when they asked him if he signed his name with a pen, he had like a 10-minute diatribe about sucking on toes. They're like, we just asked if this was your handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> that's the same guy. What the fuck? It's really very funny. A man after your own heart. That's the thing. Other than the racism, yes. <laughs> uh, so the NBA has one black owner. It is 80%. African-American. Their one black owner is Michael Jordan, who made most of his money not through basketball, but through branding, specifically Jordan sneakers, if you aren't yeah. aware. Oh, he's that guy. He's also the guy who did ads for Levi's, uh, and including like the Levi's collared shirts where he was on a plane. It was all wrinkly. And I only remember it, cause it aired like it was a pre 9-11 commercial. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know, man. I, I f- think he made most of his money from Space Jam. Yeah, I was that's, right. Space that's like Jam 80% a- of his net worth. Well, yeah. yeah. Because he, he, he actually bought Moron Mountain and uh, <laughs> turned into a private police state. <laughs> People don't know that, but he was ruthless on the court and off. So inspired by the NBA's brief flirtation with uh, labor action, we were we decided to look at 
some specific instances throughout history in which sports and politics, or specifically sports and labor politics, intersected. And even more so if there was a racial component to that. Because a lot oh, of times... There was. Mm-hmm. And the earliest dem- the earliest example of like a sporting demonstration I found dates back to 532 AD. I saw that one. Yeah, that one's cool. Chariot races. Exactly. Giddy so up. there were these big Whoa. Roman chariot races. Uh, there were initially four major factional teams, red, blue, uh, green, and white. And one of the players... They were so creative with their names. That's right. One of the Emperor Justinian the first was a supporter of the blues and he was basically petitioned by drivers from the other team to release some of their fellow drivers who had been imprisoned and he's like, No, I'm not going to do that. And then the chariot drivers from the other teams were like, Fuck this and they decided not to race and this happened all within the backdrop of what would become the uh sorry, the Nika Revolt. Which yeah. saw over yeah, like thirty thousand people die. I believe like the these chariot teams were called like the Deans or something, something like something that. Like that. The uh, Deans. And, uh, they were they were interesting because like Chance the the reds life. and the blues and the greens and all of these were like basically political parties. Yeah, like well, it, like the the yeah. loyalty to them was so entrenched in the, the citizens that like. There, there would be like in the same way that like dumb Europeans will kill each other over soccer matches. They, mm-hmm. there would be like massive riots He's and like right. wars in the streets. Yeah, they were the first like, blues hooligans versus Greens. Yeah, yeah. and it's so <laughs> like interesting. When the Canucks lost. It's so funny when people are like, "Oh, I hate that sports has been politicized." <laughs> yeah, when it was like fundamentally <laughs> from the start of the Justinian Empire. What was that called? Even bef- like even before that, like the first Olympics, it was like. Nero, <laughs> specifically, this was well, the first, the first Olympics were like ancient Greece. No, before, I know, right? but like, even from the Olympics, like Nero specifically said, like, oh, if you beat me in any of these competitions, like, I'll kill you. And he oh, invented yeah. Olympic sports like singing <laughs> and <laughs> walking, <laughs> in which he would win. Yeah. It's like there's always been a and political having the aspect. thinnest bones. <laughs> Nero, one of history's ugliest men, also won like a beauty contest at these Olympics, yeah, which is so cool. funny to think of. <laughs> You know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, Jesse. So maybe just you think he's ugly, but no. he's actually yeah, beautiful. The prettiest man in the room is always the one pointing a gun at me. I don't for know. For sure. <laughs> and he seems like your type because he's got like awful facial hair that's below his below his uh, nose and chin. Uh, he just keeps listening. I googled Nero and a car came up, Sue. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Megan loves that's cars. That's your type. <laughs> Every, oh, I was spelling it wrong. Okay, he's very ugly. You Every right. girl <laughs> just wants to have sex with a car. <laughs> they're they're optimus-pilled. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> they tried Transform to Transform like her. What he would look like, and they came up with like a the hideous ugliest. leprechaun. Yes, that's exactly bad. what I'm referring yeah. to. Whoa. Cool. He's hot. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I told hot. you. Hell yeah. He looks like Ed Sheeran. Uh, he does look like Ed we're Sheeran. We're going to jump forward by about 1,350 years. <laughs> to Ed Sheeran's birth. That's right. Uh, <laughs> no. August 1883, Cap Anson, the owner and manager of the first... Owner, manager, first baseman of the Chicago White Sox. Baseball That's used to rock. triple threat. That's Imagine right. if you're the pitcher owner. <laughs> you own the stadium. Like That would be fucking That's awesome. That's how it was back in the day. Like it, You could just have a player CEO. <laughs> it's just, you had to have like enough money from either being a butcher or like owning a shoe shop to buy a team. Yeah. <laughs> and that was so cool. That, that was when the sport was good. Anyways, uh, he was bad because uh, the other team they were playing, the Blue stockings had an african-american catcher by the name of moses fleetwood walker powerful which is an incredible name yeah Mm -hmm. that's sick and uh cap anson requested that the white Sox not play him because 
well, you know, the blue stocking. The blue stockings not play him because he is an African American. Mm. Uh, to this, the manager of the blue stockings, Charlie Morton, actually took a stand and called his bluff, stating that starting Walker in right field, even though he was hurt and probably wasn't going to play anyways, he was like, "Fuck you." Yeah. So he put the catcher in right field, <laughs> <laughs> and then the very next season they would join the American Association, and Walker became the first African American major leaguer when he took the field against Louisville. Three years later, Anson finally got his way when owners enacted a rule banning black players from professional baseball. So although Jackie Robinson obviously was the first person to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball, the first person to break the color barrier in professional baseball was, in fact, Moses Fleetwood Walker. And then three years later, the league created a rule banning black players, which necessitated the creation of the quote-unquote Negro League. Right. Mm. Wonderful. Uh, but kudos to Charlie Morton, who in 1884, doing anything decent for a black yeah. man is uh, quite surprising and a little a little impressive. 1890, another baseball one. Baseball actually served as a really interesting proving ground for like labor strikes because as we alluded to, there were so many like player owners. This is before you were like a trillionaire that had, you know, a uh, direct tunnel from your bathroom to an elementary school. So like you, you could still have a heart. Yeah. You had to walk there. That's right. <laughs> ah. <laughs> ah, hit an old ride over to the school. Say what's up. <laughs> uh, no, John Montgomery Ward laid the groundwork for what would become baseball free agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, he noted in the late 1880s that players were being underpaid for the work, whereas the owners got to keep a disproportionate amount of gate money and took home way more than they should have. He's like, thank God that ended. Yeah, I know. Whew. Dodged a bullet. <laughs> but he was like, look, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I'm doing all this work. I'm getting paid like literally a, a cup of beer every game. And it's like, you drink eight or nine when you're there. Like, these are <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. These are the I days. need all of my beers provided for me like the 18, while I sit at second base. The 1880s saw a player by the name of Charles Radborn who pitched like 110 times in a season and would just constantly be drinking beer because his arm was in pain. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this was not an uncommon thing. Third base used to literally be a spot where you could stop and have a drink. Yeah. That's awesome. Again, back when the game was good, except yeah. for, of course, the racism. Yeah. Back. Before it got pussyfied. Yeah. <laughs> and now, back helmets. when men were men and <laughs> drunk all of the time yeah, in now, order to stay alive. Now the only thing they consume is like TRT, which is shit. I don't want testosterone replacement therapy. Is. I just want to uh, chug beer and eat hot dogs. Exactly. I just want to freaking grill. Anyways, uh, Montgomery Ward realized, yeah, this sucks. So he actually started for one season the Players League, which was an entirely like cooperative uh, players league of baseball. It only lasted one season because uh, it's very difficult to start a sports league without a lot of disposable capital. And these guys were all like baseball was essentially their second job. Mm -hmm. But he showed the owners. He's like, look, if you don't pay us more, we are just either going to not play or we're just going to go play with each other. We're going to fondle each other's balls instead of yours. (laughs) That's right. And he was right. Obviously, it didn't work in the short term. But many, many years later, we would actually start to see the creation of what's known as free agency, which essentially means players are welcome to, after a certain period of time, end their contract with one team and sell themselves to the highest bidder. I have an Irish king for you. This was my favorite um, story of the whole thing. A man by the name of Con Lay. He was uh, an Olympian who was from Ireland. And he was told, 
oh, I'm going to represent Ireland. But when he arrived for the games in 1906. No, it was Peter O'Connor. His oh, teammate Peter was Con- Conway. Conway. Sorry, yeah. There's like four or five different Irish words in here. <laughs> <laughs> I assume they're all the name. Uh, anyways, he was told when he got there, oh, no, sorry. You're actually going to be representing the United Kingdom. Here's your Union Jack, and here's our flag. Oh, no. Oh, no. And he this was fucking pissed. That is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, don't, don't <laughs> do that. <laughs> as the Union Jack was raised for him, he scaled the flagpole as his teammate Conley st- stood guard at the base. When he reached the top, he unfurled the green Irish flag he had smuggled onto the track. Emblazoned with the gold harp shamrocks and the words, Aaron Gobra, the flag had an entirely different meaning. That is so goddamn cool. Imagine this guy scurrying up a flagpole (laughs) just to spite the British. You know, we're we're here for (laughs) Ireland. So this one admittedly doesn't really fit our brief of like labor, but it does have like a racial and a national connotation. And it's just anytime we can uh, tell a story about the British being made fools of is obviously delightful. You know, that's a W. I imagine we read the same article, Megan. Yes. uh, From from theundefeated.com if anyone wants to check it out, any listeners later, because I don't think we're going to read all of them. So there's some great stories in here if you want to read it yourself. uh, We can also mention Berlin, 1936. This is one of the most famous ones. I'm not going to go into too much detail because this is a really well-known thing. But essentially, the Olympics were held in Berlin in 1936. It was designed to be a propaganda project for Hitler's Nazi Germany. This was at a time before they were really starting to get that global bad guy status. In fact, there were a lot of Americans, including... <laughs> yeah, they were the edgy cool kids on the block. Uh, the, what is it? Joe, uh, John Kennedy Sr. One of, the, one of the Kennedy uncles was actually a big uh, American Nazi. He loved it. That is not Uncle Excellence. Yeah, no, that is... <laughs> I mean, he's Irish, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that legacy has remained. So some American athletes decided just to boycott the games entirely, which is a totally understandable thing to do. Uh, I probably would have done the same thing. That's because I'm not athletic, and I don't think I could have beaten anybody in these. <laughs> so mine would have been like, oh, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, I no, I, I could. I just don't want to. Yeah, you're lucky I didn't catch my flight, uh, <laughs> and I'm 230 pounds and unable to run the 100-meter dash. Otherwise, I'd <laughs> fucking destroy you, pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Among the athletes that decided to go, though, there was Jesse Owens and Mac Robinson, who wanted to put to the test Hitler's theory of German Aryan supremacy. And, uh, folks, Jesse Owens won four gold medals in that Olympics and yeah. fucking trashed everybody. He was, like, so far ahead of every oh, yeah. single competitor. It was insulting. Oh, he completely, like, wiped the floor. It was insane. And it was awesome. Mm-hmm. So, little little baby Hitler. Mac Robinson, if you weren't aware, was actually the older brother of Jackie Robinson, the first MLB player to break the color barrier. Robinson won, uh, I believe it was the silver medal behind Jesse Owens in the 200-meter dash. And when Mac Robinson returned back to the United States, what did he have to welcome him? He got a job as a street sweeper. They found him to be unqualified for any other position. In an act of personal defiance, he wore his Olympic track jacket while he was sweeping the streets, and they made him remove it and never put it back on. Jesus. By they, it was like the citizens literally complained to the police yes. that he was wearing his Olympic jacket. So, Very you know cool. what? Uh, that would be sick. Yeah. If, if a guy was wearing an Olympic jacket, s- sweeping my streets. The cops, in fact, showed up and made him take off that jacket, which doesn't seem foreboding at all for what's happening now or no. the history of black life in general in the United States. A man goes overseas, uh, performs incredibly well, comes back, gets shit on, and then uh, the cops steal his jacket. Just, just wonderful. 
Jackie Robinson, 1947, another very famous one, uh, breaking the MLB color barrier, showing a great deal of personal courage in doing so. I don't really have much more to say about this. It's been told a million times by better people, including RIP Chadwick Boseman, who played Jackie Robinson 42, which is a really good... Oh, really? Yeah, really good biopic. I'd actually highly recommend it. And uh, very sad about Chadwick Boseman. A genuine shame, but Mm. that's just par for the course right now. Talk about the NBA's original strike, which was 1961. Essentially... What had happened was Bill Russell, who, if you know anything about basketball, he's like one of the godfathers of the sport. He played center for the Boston Celtics, a very large, very eloquent, very passionate African-American man. In 1961-62, he and other members of the Boston Celtics, specifically the black members, were refused service at a restaurant. They boycotted the game in Lexington, Kentucky that night, which was a incredible statement at the time you didn't have any notion of player solidarity there wasn't even a players association to back them up so these five players basically just said fuck it we're not playing tonight although it obviously didn't mean much in the short term it really established bill russell's profile as a leader within the league and actually a leader within the civil rights movement he would be involved throughout the next decade essentially in helping to march and shape african-american equality and civil rights in the united states Another influential figure in that one is Muhammad Ali, our boy, Hell yeah. who, mm-hmm. in my opinion, is the most important athlete to have ever lived. Uh, I today watched just a documentary that was just clips of him boxing and speaking. And to say that he was a f- like ahead of the game is an insult. This man was like 3,000 years in the future. Mm-hmm. Back then, boxing was like two gigantic like Polish guys would just slug at each other for like 35 minutes. Yeah, and whoever was the most drunk generally won. Yeah, it was like <laughs> they would literally just stand in front of each other. they couldn't feel the pain. Yeah, it, it was, was like two soda Papinskis. That's right. It was just guys that had like heads like warts and like <laughs> noses that looked like cracked eggshells. <laughs> and they would just wail on each other. That's actually not true. There were a lot of talented boxers, but... A lot of Muhammad Ali's peers in the early 60s were just big, slow, plotting, yeah, Polish guys, or this was like the end of the Jewish era in boxing. They would not have a good fighter for like 100 years. Mm. But Muhammad Ali showed up at the time, billed as Cassius Clay, a former Olympian who was faster than anybody who had ever lived at that point. And he just dominated. Like, he fucked people up. They literally could not touch him. He would just yeah. fight with his hands playing down a different game. And, like, move his head and humiliate people. And in 1964, he fought Sonny Liston, who was considered to be, like, at that point, the greatest heavyweight champion of all time. Mm. This massive, like, intimidating dude. And Cassius Clay would just make rhymes and fuck with him the entire time. He beat Sonny Liston in what was, like, the biggest upset of all time. And then a short time after becoming heavyweight champion of the world, he joined the Black Nation of Islam changing his name to Muhammad Ali, which in and of itself is like... Oh, I didn't know that. I Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah. This I was a huge thing. Converted, yeah. And what had happened is the boxing powers that be were like, we don't want this guy as champion. And they sought every avenue they could to strip him of the belt, including taking him to court. They decided the best way to do it would just be to put him against Sonny Liston, thinking the first one was a fluke. Sonny Liston refused to call him by his now chosen name, yep. only referred to him as Cassius Clay. And Sonny Liston got knocked out in the very first round by a punch that nobody saw coming, especially Sonny Liston. Muhammad Ali would continue his reign of dominance. Well, uh, I think you're you're missing an important part there that like after uh, Ali like turned his lights off, he was just shouting at him, say my name, say my name. Was actually a different guy. That was a different guy? Yes, because I was getting to that. 
with Sonny Liston, he just stood over top of him in like mean mug, and that's where the iconic picture of him yeah. with his left hand cock comes from. Oh, yeah. But I will get to that because that's okay. who I'm talking about next. So the next guy, after he had been dominating for about a year at this point, so we're getting closer to 1966. Two very important things happened that year for Muhammad Ali. The first was he fought Ernie Tyrell, and all throughout the buildup, Ernie Tyrell refused to refer to him as Muhammad Ali, despite the fact that a lot of boxing announcers and boxing personalities most of them white had come around to it and been like okay yeah we're just gonna call him ali it's what he wants to be called it's fine including famously howard cosell the whitest man alive ernie tyrell is like why would i call you that like i'm gonna call you by the name you have and muhammad ali literally like in frustration is like why is it you that doesn't understand why this is important he's like everybody else will call me by the name i've chosen like what the fuck Mm -hmm. and in the fight with ernie tyrell between rounds muhammad ali would just pepper him with jabs and straights and he would say say my name and he would pepper him again. At the end of the round, he would start dancing. He's like, say my fucking name. He knocked Ernie Tyrell out, stood over top of him, as you mentioned, with both hands held high and said, say my fucking name. And he so just cool. kept repeating it. Ernie Tyrell That's insane. barely dented Muhammad Ali. That's the angriest he's ever fought. And it was the peak of his powers. Oh, like, my God. It was as if you put me in the ring with like Mike Tyson. Like it was the same amount of skill. <laughs> that like was the disparity. More about this guy. Yeah. I, I know so everyone cool. knows so much about Muhammad Ali. I will but do, I honestly know so, like nothing. I would so do Ma- a solo episode on him. I Ma- love Muhammad him. Ali's name too. Like um, the the name change thing was uh, pretty popular with the Nation of Islam at the time, uh, and it was kind of it wasn't it was popularized by Malcolm X. Yes. So Malcolm X changed his last name because uh, little he saw as like a slave name. Um, and so he changed his last name to X because he wanted to join the nation of Islam and like changing your name was, yeah, he had another, um, Islamic based name too. That was, it's pretty I long. I didn't know that was remember. Islamic at all. I thought he just did it because no. of the slave connotation. Well, wow. he did it for both. Yeah. Huh. And, and so, uh, Muhammad Ali changed his name as well and cited, uh, Malcolm X as like his uh, influence in that wow. it was wild like malcolm x would show up to the fights like as like muhammad ali's entourage yeah <laughs> it was so <laughs> sick uh fun it's jumping ahead slightly but it's not going to matter to anything else muhammad ali would constantly uh, it would not be unusual to see like nation of islam guys in his corner in 1972 he accepted a very strange invitation to fight professional wrestler antonio Inoki in a mixed rules basically like an early mma bout about famously where Inoki just stood on the floor and crab kicked the whole time because what I would do allegedly he was approached by members of the nation of Islam and said if you like break Muhammad Ali's hands or like nose we're going to kill you and he's like (laughs) 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 so Tony Inoki just dropped into like a crab walk and kicked Muhammad Ali in the shins he's like for 12 rounds that's so cool and it's like Antonio Noki had the backing of the Yakuza so at one point we could have seen like some kind of absurd nation of Islam versus the Yakuza Yakuza Kiwami 2 showdown I would pay so much money to see that movie like Muhammad Ali doing heat moves to (laughs) Antonio Noki like incredible so but yes Muhammad Ali being champion was like a deeply political statement and this is a man who used his his platform to actually talk about like the injustices in the United States, most famously when he was drafted to join the American army for the Vietnam war. And it should be stated that given his profile, he likely would have just had like a show up position, basically like a USO entertainer. Yeah, just for photo ops. Like he wasn't going to be, to be honest with you on the front lines. Mm. However, he still said, fuck that. Like, why would I go? We'll actually post the clip so you can hear it right Mm -hmm. now. My conscience won't let me go shoot my brother or some darker people 
or some pro-hungry people in the mud for big, powerful America and shoot them for what? They never call me nigger. They never lynch me. They never put no dogs on me. They never rob me of my nationality, rape and kill my mother and father. Well, I'm gonna shoot them for what? How can I go shoot them? Them little poor little black people, little babies and children and women. How can I shoot them poor people? I would just take me to jail. Ali more than held his own against students who had a far better formal education than he. I'm saying you're talking about me about some draft, and all of you white boys are breaking your neck to get to Switzerland and Canada and London. I'm not going to help nobody get something my Negroes don't have. If I'm going to die, I'll die now right here fighting you. If I'm going to die, you my enemy. My name is a white people, not Vietnams or Chinese or Japanese. You my opposer when I'm on freedom. You my opposer when I'm on justice. You my opposer when I'm on equality. You won't even stand up for me in America for my religious beliefs, and you want me to go somewhere and fight, but you won't even stand up for me here at home. And one of the big things in that clip is him, very rightfully so, pointing out, why should I go kill these people? They have never done anything to me. And then the latter half of that clip is tremendous because it's Muhammad Ali on a college campus debating like some campus Republican freak and being like, you know who's the greatest oppressor to me? The white man. Every time I strive for freedom, it's you that holds me down and not these people. Why should I go over there and kill poor people for big, mighty America? Mm. And it's like, let's remember that the Vietnam War in its early days had 95% popular support. Insanely. The first three years of the war was one of the most popular like joint actions ever conducted by wow. the United States. People forget that because they only think of like the Yeah, 70s. they're like, oh, yeah. the atrocity and we condemned the war. Yeah, and the no. peace signs. Everybody, hippies. everybody supported the war early on. Fuck so th- hippies. This is a man who's oh. already experiencing like a great deal of personal prejudice, not just for his race, but his religion. And now for his And he picks up a fight that's not even his. A fight that would cost him dearly. They took him to court, and in a 30-minute trial, a, ju- a jury of 10 white men found him guilty of violating like the war, whatever it was, like the draft act. Rather than sending him to jail, they did, however, ban him from boxing for three years and stripped him of his heavyweight title. And he was blacklisted in the United States. He couldn't even fight on like amateur cards. Says he was sentenced to five years in prison. Never served. Oh, okay, okay. Never served. However, he had three years of earnings, three years of his peak stripped away from him. By the time he was reinstated, he hadn't really had real competition in a very long time. He stepped back into the ring and <laughs> dominated up until his fight with Joe Frazier. And a fun little side thing about the Joe Frazier fight in 1971, the fight was broadcast around the world on closed-circuit TV. The Troubles in Ireland halted temporarily for one yeah. night <laughs> as both Protestants and Catholics went to go watch this fight. Oh my god! I'm not even kidding. This is like a part of Irish history. <laughs> wow. Everybody just stopped like fighting in the streets to go watch Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier in the fight of the century. Wow. Irish kings. Absolutely. Ali would eventually make a career comeback. Uh, it's an incredible story. I Maybe one day we'll talk more about Muhammad Ali because I have so much I could say about him. He's my favorite athlete and probably my favorite historical figure of all time, a man who suffered tremendously. More than Genghis Khan? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Uh, Muhammad Ali never got canceled. Incredibly. Yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> Considering he called his black opponent's Uncle Tom and uh, hey, man, constantly. That's, that's just king shit. He, the thriller in Manila was deemed as such because he said, it's going to be a killer, a chiller, a thriller in Manila when I get the gorilla. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> referring to Joe Frazier, <laughs> uh, which was not ideal. Muhammad Ali loved doing that. At the same time. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was sick. He would just do this shit nonstop. But tremendous life, 
everything he did in his life was basically a political statement mm-hmm. and he was right. He was fucking right. He had never not been right. 1996. This is one that's important because uh, we see echoes of it through Colin Kaepernick and through to today. Uh, Denver Nuggets guard Mahmoud Abdul Raf. What a team name, by the way. Denver Nuggets. The yeah. Denver Nuggets. Nuggets. The Nuggies. Yeah. What the heck? Because Golden Nuggets, you pan for gold in uh, Colorado. It's just funny. Their mascot is the a very old. Nuggets. It used to be a very old <laughs> prospector. They also used to have rainbow jerseys, and some fans boycotted because they said it was quote unquote fag shit Aww. to have a rainbow <laughs> on the their jersey. Yeah. This is like the 1970s. That's cool. It, they were great jerseys. Denver was also great because they used to not play defense at all. They'd be in like 140 to 130 games. Yeah. Holy where shit. they just wouldn't play defense. They would just not like run it, up the court and shoot. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. It was they, their best player was like a German guy named Kiki Vandeve. Yeah. Who just had like 40 points a game. He's <laughs> like, ah, yes. Shooting the ball. Crazy. Sexy. Freak out. <laughs> he would just like gather and shoot immediately. <laughs> and the other best player was Alex English, who was... Neither English nor uh, what you expect. That's right. He would also just get 30 points and he had a flat top and he would do cool dunks. <laughs> cool. Anyways, in 1996, uh, Mahmoud Abdul Raf was having the best season of his career when he decided to stop standing for the national anthem. On March 12th, 1996, NBA commissioner and ghoul David Stern, like a deeply corrupt man who once cheated to get the New York Knicks a good basketball player, like openly on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, suspended Abdul Raf for his protest. Uh, they soon came to an agreement. He could close his eyes and look downward during the anthem, but he couldn't kneel to protest it. From that point on, Abdul Raf just did, did exactly that, saying a Muslim prayer to himself with his eyes closed. The very next season, he found himself without a team, despite putting up almost 20 points a game and having unbelievable shooting skills. He was effectively blacklisted by the NBA for his Muslim faith and the fact that he would protest the national anthem. Like Muhammad Ali before him, he had actually changed his name and joined the Nation of Islam. And on that same note, he went, wow, what the fuck is happening here? (laughs) Like, this is 1996. This is before, you know, Gen X thought they had it good. Like, nobody was complaining about anything yet. And this man, presciently, was like, fuck this. Mm. More NBA protests. The NBA is considered to be the most liberal league, quote air quotes, despite the fact that all their owners are like hyper rich freaks like Mark Cuban. And yeah. yeah, they're weirdos, man. It's just the players are all African-American. And is therefore, Mark Cuban the guy on Shark Tank? Yes. Mm. And therefore more sensitive to, you know, the issues that affect them. Uh, whereas hockey where like 90% of them are white and like... <laughs> You know, they were groomed. They were quite literally groomed in like the abusive hockey system, which is actually a topic for another episode. The amount of like sexual and immense and like emotional abuse that occurs in the hockey system is, uh, like yeah, we did. We saw that with Don Cherry. They yeah. called him Madagascar. Fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> it was like it's it's conditioned into them. But the NBA, as such, uh, has always been closer to the correct take on these things. I won't say the objectively correct take because nothing ever seems to happen. But this is just like all the ones related to Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Freddie Gray, uh, the countless other black men that have been killed by the police. They wore hands up, don't shoot t-shirts and warm-ups, which would then be co-opted by the New York Police Union, which uh, would wear a similar one, which is basically if you were innocent, you wouldn't be shot. Oh, uh, my God. They wore I Can't Breathe t-shirts, which the New York PD would also then co-opt as recently as this year to talk about mask restrictions. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. That was cool. They also would wear We Can Breathe shirts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, For real? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
They, NYPD, given thumbs ups in very their cool. A Cleveland Browns player mm. rightfully highlighted the fact that it's fucked up that the the NFL spends so much on like police and military demonstrations. And he said the real battle of Ohio was the murder of young black men. Uh, <laughs> he was forced to apologize to the Cleveland Police Union, and like they were, the team made a donation of like a million dollars to them. Cool. Very nice. Three new tanks for them. Awesome. In July 2016, members of the Minnesota Lynx, New York Liberty, and Phoenix Mercury, these are all WNBA teams, began wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts to WNBA games to protest recent police shootings. Police unions took offense and the league fined both teams and the players. But after Liberty Center, Tina Charles took to Twitter to say that she refused to be silent. WNBA president Lisa Borders, which I imagine is the bookshop lady, yeah. uh, rescinded the fines and began a dialogue. <laughs> Oh, sweet fuck, fuck yes fuck oh my god <laughs> we get to I talk fucking love dialogues <laughs> dialogues get me so rock hard i'm gonna just fucking line of dialogues holy shit off the fucking table i'm gonna tell shit that jesse shit in my jesse face. tell me what happened with the dialogue what what happened <laughs> after they did the dialogue did something happen well we expect players to comply with league rules and uniform guidelines we also understand their desire to use the platforms to address important social issues fuck oh yes. that feels good oh god that's cathartic Lisa I Borders. feel seen. <laughs> Lisa Borders, if you're listening and you want me to do something, if you want me to kill these players in their union, <laughs> open a dialogue to me, Lisa. I know you're listening. I will do anything for you. <laughs> I will fire six dialogues into their head. Lisa, you opened a dialogue. <laughs> I am I am yours for life. I've sworn life debt to you, Lisa. I will I will go into every borders and I will work for free. I will scrub the toilets. I'll suck the shit out of the toilets for you, Lisa, because you opened a dialogue. That's important. You didn't have to do that. You own the WNBA. You're the president or whatever. You didn't have to do that, Lisa, but you did it, and that's for you because of me. Because of you, I'm going to help you now. Just yeah. listen. Play the episode backwards, and I'll know. Send me, a, <laughs> send me the clip of the episode backwards, and I will bring several guns to the WNBA games. I like the idea that, like, uh, using dialogue instead of like bullet. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Man, I'd take a sweet dialogue to the brain right now. Officer involved dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, we was acknowledging the uh, <laughs> we we were involved in, in a kinetic exchange of, of words. Ideas. We recognized him. <laughs> <laughs> the gun was loaded not with bullets but with ideas but also with bullets. <laughs> I, I fired several bullets in the, into the back of this three-year-old boy because he was not open. He was not using proper pronouns. I had as he him and he said they I love he, he was not uh, <laughs> he was not engaged in the idea of bedtime <laughs> and, and he would not participate in the dialogue uh, the, the coroner's office decided that this was a self-inflicted idea <laughs> that no, no further inquiry would be necessary strong case of dialogue that's right Jesus uh, yeah so another common trend is this liberal fucking bullshit of opening a dialogue about issues that I'm sorry there shouldn't be a dialogue about police fucking violence no. that's not a that's not a two-way street no let me tell you when someone says stop fucking killing me you don't say, oh yeah, we'll think well, about well, it. Well, yeah, well, like let's discuss this. <laughs> yeah. Or how about I only mm. how about I only paralyze you instead? Like these yeah, are you, not. You can't negotiate yeah. something. There's no that. dialectics. Yeah, the, the Joe Biden shooting the legs instead of shooting the leg instead of the heart. And that's what they did, and it didn't fucking work, Joe. <laughs> 
I can't wait to see you choke on your own saliva in your nursing home. Let's take a sweet dialogue to the skull. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sick and tired of this dialogue. It's the same thing with mental health. Oh, it's important. We're destroying the stigma. I'm sorry. Destroying the stigma doesn't pay my hundred and fucking thirty dollar an hour yeah. bill so I can decide not to kill myself. Yeah, yeah. Jesus it's fucking Christ, we've moved past this. Stigma more like smegma. That's right. Because it fucking sucks. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. And I want to fucking see it as much as possible. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sick and tired of this shit. <laughs> And like, I get it. This doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not getting killed by this. So I can be performatively angry. I can be real angry. But it doesn't fucking matter. And that's so fucked up. That's so fucked up. It's like, yeah, we can laugh about this. But this is not like, this is not a concern for us. But this is life and fucking death for like so many people. And and like, it's happening everywhere. And the people in charge of it, like, actively, like, I don't even know. They're just evil. Yeah, they just like, they want this to just go away. Yeah, they don't give yeah. a fuck. Yeah. It is like the the greatest threat ag- to them, again, is not even the fact that this happens at all, but the idea that basketball will stop. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the greatest threat a lot of the time is addressing that there's actually a problem. Yeah. Mm. Because most of the time they just don't even want to go that far. No. Yeah. Right? They're like, oh, man, if I say the cops aren't like doing what they're supposed to, then, you know, then I'm critical of them. And like... I don't know. It's it's like it it just it becomes so infuriating uh, to the point where it is exhausting. Like I could feel it in Jesse's voice. I could feel the whole table. We were just like, yeah, it's true. Like it it's tiring to hear all these things and be like, what the fuck do you want? And and the people that are you know, oh, we're gonna start a conversation or oh, we're gonna do something about this or we're gonna listen to you finally. It's like, no, you, we know you're not. Yeah, and like yeah. anytime we try to do anything else, you fucking pepper spray us and shoot uh, rubber bullets. Because like, and that's the thing is that like, Obama was president for eight years. Yeah. Uh, all of the cities in which these shootings of like these murders of black men are occurring in, black men and women are in democratically run, like the Democrats yeah. mayor, it's a democratic state in some cases. Yep. Like they have complete control over the like municipal politics of the area and it still happens. So it's almost like f- having a dialogue with you freaks doesn't matter at all. Yeah. It's almost like you give us nothing. Like if you I said, hear, why would you negotiate with a murderer? Yeah. yeah. If I hear someone say, oh, I acknowledge you one more fucking time. I'm tired oh, of yeah. being fucking acknowledged. We're long past that point. If you want to fucking acknowledge my concerns, maybe start to fucking work on them. I know you won't. Oh, I know you won't Jesse. because you're getting paid millions of dollars to not do that. Jesse, I wish you were there the day where the guy cried over me for being Mohawk. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I was at the bar and we were having a few drinks and he was like, oh, you're Mohawk. And he started crying and he was like, I have so much sympathy for you. Oh. I hope the police don't treat you poorly. <laughs> Literally, it was one of the uh, worst conversations. And then he also asked for an interview for his like burgeoning news site. Yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was gross. Post millennial. So, yeah. yeah Instead, you came and interviewed on our show. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, hmm, what should I do here? Yeah. No, it's like you said, the acknowledgement is too far gone. Yeah. Literally, your, your brief history, if anyone can take anything away from it, is that people have been talking about this for so long. <laughs> Nothing's happened. That as soon as you. We're listening for until the end yep. of time. As like soon as long as, you, as they can get away with saying that. As soon as you that. say, I'm listening to you, you are uh, complacent to the problem. Yeah. yeah. Like, you are part of the issue. 
Also yeah. at like Queens at Kingston. Whoa, oh, also oh, fuck God. city of Kingston it's for evicting all the homeless people from Bell Park. Today. Yeah, three God. hours ago. Yeah. HR culture has like infused itself into politics in a way mm. that is so fucking alarming. Yeah. Because yeah, it's, it's, it's not about addressing concerns. Everything. It's about protecting the brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it doesn't fuck. That's why cancel culture also does not fucking matter because it's not doing anything. It's just, oh, you're tarnishing this person's brand. Yeah. yeah. But, but even like, that doesn't fucking matter. No. No. Like, you can well, the person did it themselves usually. <laughs> Matt, you can cancel Matt Lauer and get him off the air, but guess what? He's still a fucking millionaire, and he still has all the power he had before. He's just not on TV. Yeah, we that's, need to kill them. Well, he's been deplatformed. <laughs> yeah, but, that's right. Like, <laughs> if, if only... Parody. If only they could... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he platform his. Yeah, head if only he was on a platform, <laughs> and then the platform gave way out underneath him. Yeah. Anyway, hey, speaking of platforms and heads, the statue fell over in Montreal. Yeah, that was sad. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. we, uh, do we want to move on? That I, was genuine. I will sick. just simply mention Colin Kaepernick because I yeah. love that man as well. He did, echoing Mahmoud Abdul Raf many years prior, uh, took a took a knee during the national anthem, which kicked off an incredible culture war. Mm-hmm. However, something very prescient is uh, they loved it when Tebow took a knee, but whatever. Four years to the date that Colin Kaepernick started his protest is when the NBA uh, boycott occurred, which was yeah. just a neat little thing of serendipity, but didn't obviously matter. Kaepernick also got blacklisted openly by the NFL owners who refused to sign him. They Despite would sign him being one of the best quarterbacks in the league at, at the that time. Point. Exactly. At that point in the season, like his team he played for was terrible, but he was a good player. And he, the year before he was one of the very best in the league. He sued them for that. He did. It's still ongoing. Yeah. Uh, but like, uh, this is a man who also donated like seven million dollars to a local like non for profit. That's actually good because he's incredibly like well connected and understands mm. what matters. Like, it's so fucked up. And he's hot. He is hot. Yeah, absolutely. He get it for sure. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. and similar thing. He grew out his natural hair as a political statement as well. Like, this I, is a man massive afro. It was so sick. Yeah, I like, give him the gawk gawk to his dialogue any day. Yeah. So this is something that's gone on for. In some cases, a thousand plus years. There's yeah. always been politics and sports. That's and what I mean. Always been these fucking patent, like, whatever, acknowledgements of the concern, but the concern has never been addressed. And then you also get the dumbasses like uh, Tommy Lauren, right? Where it's like, uh, just dribble and shut up. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. That, yeah. Whereas Obama would say, uh, dribble after you shut up, <laughs> 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 which is uh, heroic and brave. Anyways, let's let's talk about the statue falling. This is something yeah. uh, Momo sent me. Mm-hmm. Shut up, friend of the show. Absolutely. Oh. Uh, so I, hey, the, I sent this around. I know, too. but she, she, she and I had a discussion about this. So the Quebecois uh, once again proving to be the best uh, Canadians uh, and possibly the only good ones. Uh, maybe, I, I, wow. I'd argue. I, I'd argue for the newfies. You've, okay. you've changed your stance quick. Yeah. No, I, I flip flop. <laughs> I'm like I'm like a Democrat week? this way. Honestly, anybody. Uh, East of Ontario. All right. Yeah, fine. it's true. As long as, yeah. And like there's, there's something to be said about Alberta Pride and just how. Oh, they want to join the U.S. now. Yeah. That's real. There was an ad on TV for it the other day. Yeah, no, it's awesome. But yeah, no, uh, in Montreal, uh, a group of, was it like 200 or so uh, protesters? Vandals, as Rex Murphy uh, titled them in his uh, latest oh, opinion piece. Oh, I forgot about Rex Murphy. Now you brought him back into my brain. Fuck you, I'm dude. Sorry. So but nasty. like, yeah, he has this cool opinion piece about how they're vandals and that they don't deserve like the protection of the law or whatever. Uh, what? But 
Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. He, he wants Rex, to strip them of their citizenship. No, I'm just kidding. I was going to say, you can't torture people, Rex. No, he doesn't say that, but he's like, oh, they've broken the law, so why are we treating them with respect? Why are cops doing nothing, etc.? Just on bullshit. Uh, but yeah, these, these protesters... Like and there's an excellent video of this which I recommend. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, tied some ropes to a statue of Sir John A. Took that sucker down, and as he fell, his head yeah. popped off. Oh, it was so it's sick. a really good edit to uh, "Heads Will Roll," uh, the <laughs> remix yeah, 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 of yeah, it song. as yeah, it falls. Good song. Really good. So good. Yeah, like that's that's what we're talking about. That isn't truly like what's up. Yeah, that's uh, as we say in the business, extremely cool and good. Also, yeah, that's extreme even dialogue. taller and has more like poles around it than ours. We does, gotta so get. Just, uh, it's weird. Whatever yeah. winch thing, like it's like a like a what is it? That's secret Quebec technology. It, we no, don't it's have like the stuff you you tie stuff to the top of your car with. That's what I yeah, thought. Yeah, one that like tightens as you yeah. like, do the little. Oh yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Like yeah, a, yeah. well, we can't tell people are. No, I will be buying one. <laughs> it's from it's from my car. I just spent six hundred dollars yeah, on it. I need a don't, don't worry, guys. We're gonna be protecting the statue at all costs. That's right. Yeah, I'll no. be there. <laughs> and um, if anyone threatens to tear it down, uh, please let we're us gonna know. We're gonna open a dialogue with. Yeah, them. let us <laughs> know. Let us know when there's a threat to the statue, and we will surely be there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> one of I guarantee you will be there, baby. One of the wildest things a friend told me a way that he used to keep himself awake because he used to he used to drive a lot for his job. So he'd be driving at like all hours of the night. So a way to stay awake for us to defend the statue, to borrow, I will not say their name because they definitely listen to the show, mm. but to borrow their technique, they used to like jack off but not come. Okay. Oh, so you, you just edge, edge all yeah. night. So he'd be like driving his car, like edging, yeah. trying to stay That's awake because he'd be up yeah. for like so 27, 28 hours at a time. It's healthier oh than drinking God. energy drinks. Yeah. So that's a, I'm going to be there uh, with a picture of Rex Murphy. Uh, edging. <laughs> going to make my silkworm almost shoot, but instead I'm going to have one hand on my cock and one hand on a rifle and i'm gonna be there <laughs> defending the statue sometimes of i get mixed a. up which one's which though and that's bad <laughs> that's bad sometimes you go a little too far and i just shoot fat loads all over the statue but <laughs> it's then i get really tired and i just i drop instantly <laughs> like i'm a sim <laughs> <laughs> like solid snake just choked you out yeah. and you're just like boom <laughs> <laughs> i just fall down and like i'm laying there like in a pile but then eventually i like they don't have an animation for me to get back up, so like my <laughs> legs will kind of go up, and then my body will just pop up immediately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you're fully erect again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, also standing up. That's right. I look around. Uh, so that's if you're out late one night looking for the statue, you'll see one of the four of us, probably me, uh, there just jacking off, trying to stay awake so De- I can defend the statue. Defending from An- Antifa. De- yeah, <laughs> defending the statue from Antifa. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm excited for it. Like which, I said, give us a heads up when the statue is threatened, and we will be yeah, there. Yeah, I'll definitely be there to when the statue is threatened. No doubt about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really want to Bart Simpson it and just cut the head off. Oh yeah, that was a great early episode. Honestly, oh, yeah. classic. Everybody got pissed at him, but he did the right thing. Yeah, Bart, no, Simpson? he that was actually the yeah. correct. Everybody choice. says Bart Simpson's a problematic guy because he's been in fourth grade for like 300 years, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, he's grooming. I don't know, Sherry or Terry, one of the twins. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, man, I knew Bart. He doesn't before, even know. Before, he's he's having dark times right now. Like, yeah, Bart's not in a good head pace. But the Bart Simpson I knew, the one that would cut the head off Jebediah Springfield statue. Yeah, bro. Once he gets off off Fent, that's the Bart we're gonna get yeah. to know and love again. <laughs> drop drop the stigma around Bart Simpson. That's right. Please. We need to start we need a, a dialogue. About, <laughs> we need to start yeah, a dialogue about Bart Simpson. <laughs> Does anyone have anything to add before we close off the episode? Uh, no, I think that's the perfect note. Yeah. To end on. 
Uh, I would say just anyone who tells you that sports isn't political is a fucking idiot or they're making a bad faith argument or they're a culture warrior. Either way, tell them to fucking shove it up their ass and spin because they don't know what they're talking about. And sports is one of the few actual avenues that people still understand and share and like get the value of. Yeah, it is. It is apolitical in that people on both sides <laughs> like it <laughs> like it and it, and it's not like again another cultural dumb bullshit thing where you either like it or not and you get points for yeah. your team depending you, on whether you do you can't boycott sports like you boycott certain movies or filmmakers it's like they're ubiquitous yeah and it's i feel like and actually a really good avenue in which social change can at least ferment because even like give colin kaepernick credit you could say oh you know he just kneeling. He didn't do anything fundamentally, which is wrong because he did donate a lot of money to very important uh, groups that needed it. But even then, like for him to be out there and openly challenging like an incredibly corrupt league that is for years just been like a propaganda wing of the U.S. military. That's incredible. And he actually did. One of the few times raising awareness was actually helpful. Yeah. It's just sports are important. Labor is important. We saw a brief moment where the two had united in an incredible, like, high-scale way. And you can tell how important it was because it made a lot of very powerful people nervous. Yeah, and here's the thing that I I forgot to mention while while we were talking about that uh, is, of course, like, Obama had to come from on high to stop it, uh, nip it right in the bud. But uh, I was looking for, like, opinion pieces from, like, the major news sites about, like, the, like, wildcat strike, boycott, whatever you want to call it. And there's nothing. Yeah. Like, no one has mentioned it whatsoever. In Radio community? silence. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like and we hear about it. Like basically, there was the, tweets the night of from like yeah, TSN no, like and like yeah, people were tweeting, stuff. but there was oh. no like no major publication no. Nobody, has an op-ed about nobody it. Nobody really wrote about it. But it's like other than but our the, boy Rex, <laughs> no, he doesn't watch the he's NBA. Too, he's too uh, fixated on this headless uh, Sir John statue. He, he, he's he think, worried about the ethno Yeah. Well, no, he he would like write in very coded language about the NBA. It's like all gangster and hip hop culture, and he can't support. Yeah. Like hip hop yeah. style dunks, yeah. pimping ain't easy. If is Rex what he Murphy would say. watched the, <laughs> if Rex Murphy watched basketball from like 1980, his heart would explode. Let alone nowadays. <laughs> like this is the whitest man to have ever lived. We uh, need to bring Muhammad Ali back to knock oh out God. Rex Murphy. I would now an ideal world for me is uh, basically. Muhammad Ali and Bernie Sanders switch places. So I'm willing to sacrifice Bernie Sanders if it means I get like a coherent Muhammad Ali <laughs> running in 2020. Now that's the that dream. would be ins- there's no way he loses. He, Joe Biden couldn't beat him in pushups, so he would have the Democratic yeah. nomination <laughs> seal. That's what caused Bernie. Alrighty, if you are the old man that runs that QAnon YouTube video account, please message us. Uh, message Megan personally. If not, thank you. <laughs> Comment for on listening. her Instagram. Alrighty. Maybe that's the guy who commented on your Instagram those uh, weeks back. No, I remember every 60-year-old man's face, and I can tell. Yeah, they're all on your Instagram page. <laughs> 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 Hope you guys enjoy. <laughs>